So the answer is, how can you find healthy, lasting pleasures in life? And that's what I was finally able to find out. It's because that emptiness inside, the more you desperately you feel the emptiness, the more you try to fill it with external things, but that'll never fill it. It makes it even deeper. It's a bottomless pit. It just keeps getting deeper and deeper, the hole. Instead, if we fill it with the nourishment that it's craving, then we always, I'm never running on empty anymore. I always have a certain level of joy in my life, even at difficult times. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So just as I promised you last week that I have new software and all of the episodes will be available on YouTube, haha, not this week's. I needed to remember to bring Braca's interview forward. So I have this wonderful woman who I interviewed in early August. And she talks all about her reasons not to use her Harvard education and do some have some high-paying career, but instead to go into writing first stuff that was more personal and eventually moving on to inspirational stories for children like her grandchildren. And I adore that she has found meaning in bringing maybe a spiritual side for children uh, who are learning things as they grow up. And she wanted them to have books that would help guide them as they make some difficult choices along the way. It's perfect timing because I've been thinking a lot lately about counting the cost of writing and all of the things that writers do as far as being available and marketing and, you know, all of the different things. Sometimes I wonder, is it worthwhile to be a writer? Does writing take more than it gives back? And I, then I think so easily up to how many beautiful rewards there are when a person writes few of the monetary. But I will say, One of my greatest rewards I was reminded of yesterday, I did get a message from one of my siblings that another one had um, my brother, uh, my oldest brother on my mother's side of the family had died. And that is the second sibling within about eight weeks, maybe a little less than eight weeks, who has passed. And we're talking people in their 60s, not, you know, terribly elderly. So... It was shocking, but this was a brother that I had been alienated from for many, many years, not by something, we had no falling out or anything like that, but for more than five decades, we hadn't seen each other because of a parental family abduction that happened in the 60s. And so some of the kids grew up in one household, different kids were distributed different places, Probably if you read my memoir, Pieces of Me, Rescuing My Kidnapped Daughters, you know the story, but it's a tangled family web. And I tried so hard to find this particular brother. He was the last one of 11 half siblings that I had to meet. And it was really important to me to meet him before we got too old and one of us died. And I found out, make a 
Long story short, I found out later that he had issues that, um, you know, I'm not sure what they were, but he was often nonverbal and very, very reclusive. And I'm imagining old family trauma played a part. The point being, after I wrote my book and it was published about a year later, almost a year later, in summer of 2017, I flew from Anchorage to Louisville, Kentucky to do a book event. And I was so lucky to have my family. There are a lot of members of my family on both sides in attendance. And it was really so validating and such a wonderful, supportive, beautiful memory. But this brother, one of my siblings had been reading him parts of my book and he came to this crowded book event at Barnes and Noble in Louisville, Kentucky. I'd never met him. I'd tried for years and just couldn't connect with him, couldn't connect. And then when I did reach him once, he hung up repeatedly on me. And then to learn later, he had some special issues that made that, made it, that happen. I never thought I'd get to meet this brother. And thankfully, he decided to brave the crowds and how uncomfortable he felt because he was moved by me telling my story and it was kind of our story. And so this brother who'd been mostly nonverbal came up to me in the line of people and said that he was proud of me. It's a memory I will never forget. And I'm so grateful that I got to meet him. That was the, I knew that would be the first and only time that we would see each other. And yesterday he died yesterday being now we're in October. So October 9th, but how grateful I am that telling my story, telling our story connected me with someone so important that transcends any other kind of reward, you know, just those connections, meeting readers, uh, other authors, fabulous meeting my brother sublime. So for today, thinking about him and thinking about what a wonderful journey writing can be, whether it's for publication, whether it's for therapeutic reasons, if people are journaling, whatever it is, it is worthwhile. And I hope that if you ever think about writing, that you don't worry about publishing, just write for you. Um, Doesn't have to be profound, just the experience of putting down your thoughts and feelings into word onto paper can have a lot of benefits. Have a great week, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks always for being here. Thank you also to my brother Danny for buying me a cup of coffee. Jan Six has, as well as the amazing Sharon T. Oh my goodness, I'm so grateful for everyone who likes the podcast, shares it, downloads it, and thank you for that And I don't know if I remember to thank Gary also, but thank you to Gary for buying me a cup of coffee as well. It means the world to me. Enjoy the episode, and I hope that you find some inspiration in it. It's pleasurable. You experience that pleasure, and you want lasting pleasure. That's what everybody wants. Everybody wants lasting pleasure in life. So if you don't know how else to get it, If life feels uncontrollable, at least you know you have this pleasure right in front of you, so I'll just keep stuffing my face. I'll just keep eating, and then I'll have pleasure that will keep lasting, but the results are 
you know, it's very dangerous to do that. That's, that's a, it's a very unhealthy thing to do. So the answer is how can you find healthy, lasting pleasures in life? And that's what I was finally able to find out. It's because that emptiness inside, the more you desperately, you feel the emptiness, the more you try to fill it with external things, but that'll never fill it. It makes it even deeper. It's a bottomless pit. It just keeps getting deeper and deeper, the hole. Instead, if we fill it with the nourishment that it's craving, then we always, I'm never running on empty anymore. I always have a certain level of joy in my life, even at difficult times. So those resources are there now. Um, Basically, life doesn't feel chaotic and uncontrollable anymore because I understand that there's an ultimate goodness and that we're ultimately good within us too. I love it. So when you, when you first went into food addiction and by that, what do you mean? Because I think a lot of people think, how could you be addicted to food? We all need it, but right, it's a real thing. Yes. Um, they, they find that it, it, it hits the centers of the brain just like cocaine and cigarettes, right. like um, junk food does anyway. I, I love to compare them. Junk food is designed to be delicious and addictive, while the natural foods were designed to be delicious and nutritious. Totally different. So that um, what I read is that the junk food has more in common with cocaine and cigarettes than it does with an apple or an orange. Wow. Yeah. I have seen those brain scans where they show someone with after a hit of sugar, you know, just regular sugar, and which parts of the brain are lit up. And it is pretty amazing because we don't really think about like, wow, all of the convenience foods that we eat are drugs in a sense. Exactly. They have abnormal amounts, concentrated amounts of fat, sugar, and salt that are never found in nature that way. And what's taken out is the fiber, the water, the nutrients. And this is what we're left with, what stimulates our pleasure centers of our brain in such an abnormal way. And it's true, we cannot eat just one. And then people blame themselves when it's not their fault. They're eating addictive substances. They're just responding the way they have been designed in the lab to make you respond to them. So the best thing is just um, not even to buy them. And then you don't don't have to deal with them, you know? Right. So when did you start your writing journey then? You said it was when some of this was resolving. Can you take us back to when you realized? Because I think when you went to Harvard, did you have different plans or was it always to be an author? Yeah. Well, okay. I was even an author while an undergraduate at Harvard, but what I was writing about was eating disordered behavior. Okay. I, be- I became an expert on this as I was getting sicker and sicker while I was there. So intellectual understanding is not enough. Here I was this expert at Harvard giving talks, writing about it and, and, and getting worse and worse. Um, with, I graduated Harvard. I went to medical school and my goal was to become a psychiatrist. Again, here I am specializing in this. But meanwhile, as I said to a friend, I don't even know why life is worth living. How can I help my patients when I don't understand the purpose of life myself? So 
Oh, wow. That's what happened. That summer, between my first and second year of medical school, I went to Israel, I had a six-week break, and I discovered my own roots, which I never, I had not had an education in in my own heritage. So right. it it was awesome for me to discover that all the spirituality that I didn't even know was in my own backyard. I was searching all over for it. And it was a tremendous joy to finally get the treasures that that had been thrown away. I mean, in fact, my book, my memoir is called that searching for God in the garbage because I was searching, literally searching through the garbage for what had been thrown away. I knew something was missing, but I didn't know what it was. I'll be darned. That's amazing. That is, that's really interesting. So how has this then impacted your writing? Like, how did you begin this process? Yeah, well, I I just wanted to give that little girl that was searching. I mean, the search for me began at age 12, searching for what's, there's got to be more to life than waking up every day to go to work, to make money, to buy food, to go to work, to make money. This is not all there is. So I began the search then, and um, that that's what's – I'm trying to give that little girl and children every place those tools from the very beginning. Recognize you're a spiritual being. Recognize um, how gratitude changes your life. My books also – because my interest is in public health, like even as an undergraduate, I was taking courses at the Graduate School of Public Health and Harvard Medical School, because also in order for our souls to shine, we have to have healthy bodies. So some of my books are about the prevention of abuse. I think my the, I have written some books about abuse. They're in more than like 100,000 homes already, really helping to save lives. It's, it's essential. And my newest book is Let's Stay Healthy. This was written during the pandemic because like a mother called me and said, please write a book about why is junk food dangerous? Why do children need to exercise? Why do they need enough sleep? So I explained it. I love to explain why so that children can understand so so that's what this is also, how to have a healthy body so your soul can shine. And then I have books about even let's swim safely, really essential, and, and books about let's appreciate everyone, how to interact more effectively with children with disabilities. It's teaching children that may not be neurodiverse how to interact because just basic things that they no one may ever have explained. And once you have the guidelines, you feel more comfortable interacting. Um, for instance, children always, it's natural to stare when you see a child with a physical disability. I, and, and the book explains there's another five-letter word that also begins with S. If you add your smile... You can stare, but with a smile, it forms a connection between one heart and another. This is how you can build the the inclusivity. And so 
because usually they're the loneliest children of all, children with disabilities. They don't get invited to as many parties or play dates. So, and then, and then, I mean, I have books explaining about the wonders of fruits and vegetables, how awesome they are. Remarkable Park is about learning from nature. There are so many messages right out in nature to, to speak to us. And then I have like the invisible book is about all the things we believe in that are invisible. There is gravity. We let go of a book. It goes right to the ground. There's an invisible force pulling us, pulling it down. We can't see it. We can't see time. We can't see feelings. We can't see thoughts. And yet we see the effects of these things. The same thing with us. We are also invisible. At our core, we're invisible beings. So it's explaining that we need this spiritual nourishment, even as children, every day of our lives in order to thrive. Wonderful. And how has that changed your world? I mean, about you, you know, how has it changed your world to be able to share these things? Yeah. Well, when I, when I help others shine, it helps my soul to shine. I mean, that's, that's how it goes. And I think I shared with you what I learned that summer is about the pleasure ladder. And this changed my life. That what brings pleasure is if there's five levels to the pleasure ladder, the, the lowest level are all the physical pleasures. These are the pleasures that uplift your body and your soul. It's eating an orange, you know, it's, it's dancing, doing yoga, being in nature, listening to music. These are natural, physical things, sensual experiences that uplift us both physically and spiritually when we experience them with gratitude. So gratitude is what gets us on every rung of the pleasure ladder. When we finish that whole bag of potato chips, we are not filled with gratitude afterwards. Now, it, it brings us down, actually. So this is how we see the way to go. Then, the, the, do you want? Should I explain the other levels on the pleasure ladder? I would just, as much as possible, make it personal to you instead yes. of. I don't want it to sound like a billboard for your book. Yes, I yes. want it to be a real conversation about you. Yes. Okay. So um, that's basically what I do when when. When I feel like overeating, then I say to myself, is it your body that's hungry or your soul? And that. right away, I know I've already had a good meal. If I want to keep eating, it's to fill a different type of emptiness. It's not a physical hunger. Okay. And another thing I say to myself is, if you have 95 more spoonfuls of this ice cream, will you then feel full? No, of course not. It's not that kind of a fullness, you right. know. This this is what brings the clarity, you know. So that's this is how I work on all these things to um to just find the true lasting pleasure in life. Right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Brockett, did you, um, was there ever a time when you were doing something different and then you started writing or were you always 
writing children's books concurrently while you were working? Um, let's see. Well, when I was raising my children, um, that's when I was just writing books or editing people's books. You know, oh, I, I was love it. Yeah, and I also was babysitting other people's children. And then when my youngest uh, started going to school full time, I, I then I said either I'm going to go back to school now or I'm going to find an interesting job, whichever happens first. So I began working as an activity director with elderly people. And then there was a job opening to direct a um, – to coordinate a big brother, big sister program. So that's what I ended up doing for that. For almost 20 years, I was um, coordinating a big brother, big sister program. Excellent. Um, And when did you publish your first book? When my, when my children were very little, I sat outside with a notebook. So I had time while they were playing to write down my ideas. I had an idea, but I had time to work on it. So I played around with it on loose leaf paper. I put it in an envelope and I sent it to America. I was living in Israel. And um, six weeks later, I got back a letter that the book was accepted. So I realized this is how you write a children's book. This is great. And it was awesome. So then I just kept going and I wrote more books when my children were young. And now that I have grandchildren, uh, you know, they also give me ideas of what to write about. So I, it just keeps going. And now my my youngest children, um, with my newest book, they actually told me not to submit it to a traditional publisher as I'd always done. They wanted to become the publishers now for my books from now on. So they are doing that my children yeah (laughs) oh how interesting well that's wonderful how has that worked out it's just so beautiful it's like such an amazing feeling for me that they want to spread the messages even further you know and I'm so not a business person so I don't enjoy that aspect so that's why I always gave the business over I just wanted to do the creative part and let the publishers you know, make money. All of that doesn't interest me. My whole thing is getting messages into the world, you know? So, so now they are doing that aspect and it's so awesome to be collaborating with them in such a creative way. That's so terrific. I love it. And what is your, the favorite thing that your grandchild has said to you? Like, do you have any messages from your grandkids about your writing? About my writing? They really enjoy it. What they always ask me is, what's your next book going to be about? That's their favorite thing to ask me. What are you up to in the book and what are you doing and when is it coming out? They love being the first ones to know like what's happening. You know? <laughs> That's beautiful, Braca. I love that. Fantastic. And so um, what are you working on next? <laughs> it's a book about how to not listen to the basically the self-destructive impulse that's in our brains. Okay. We, we can call it the nasty nagger. It's always saying, like in terms of food, oh, just have one little piece of that, you know? And, and in the book, it wears a mask. The mask is, um, it's, it's always like a tricky thing. And it puts on costumes all the time because it's always in a disguise. And our job is just to recognize that it's talking to us. The minute we recognize it, it loses its power. 
which is so interesting. And that's very empowering for children to recognize how to deal with that aspect, with that voice that's, that's always kind of trying to bring us down, drag us down. And this, it, it makes it almost into a fun game. And it's, it's just, it, it, that's the purpose of the book in a joyful way to try to explain um, what's going on so that the children can really become empowered through reading this book to have the skills to recognize it. Yeah. That voice, is that a voice of conscience or a voice of self-doubt, do you think? Yes, it's, it's, a, it's the self-destructive impulse. Okay. And we always, we're always fighting it. This is part of life. That's why we're here. And we're building the spiritual muscles to fight against it all the time. You know, every time we make a crack in a bad habit, every time we don't overeat, every time we do these things, it gets stronger and stronger, you know, and it's, um, and it's, again, it is, it is through gratitude. It's by, because what it gets us to do is focus on what we're lacking in life. So if we build our gratitude muscles, it it doesn't have that effect on us. That's that's one of the main tricks it uses is getting us to focus on what we're lacking and comparing ourselves to others, especially with children. Children are always comparing, but, but he does that and she's got this, you know? And so, wow. Oh my gosh, I have all this. The, the building of the gratitude is what, is really the key to joy throughout life. And that's I have to agree. And how, how do you build it in children? Just like, I know how I build it in myself and it's so important, but how do you build it in children? Like, what would you say to parents? Yes, there's one of my books, which right now is out of print, but it's going to be reprinted was the happiness box. The boy goes into this cardboard box mm-hmm. and all he could think about it's they. The father explains to him, it's a happiness box. You can only think happy thoughts in there. So when he goes inside, he now he's stuck. He's a big complainer. And he can only think about things that make him happy now. Okay, I'll give it a try. So he does. And he, that's how you build the muscle. Little by little, you start thinking. And then he's worried when he goes away to camp, he doesn't have that box. What's he going to do? And he realizes, guess where the happiness box is? It's in your brain right here. You always have it. You always have that ability to go inside and focus on what you're grateful for. Wonderful. I love that. Good. (laughs) Good. All right. Well, I think that sounds like a really terrific writing journey. Do you go to conferences and have a writer's community or how do you, what's your writer's life look like? I'm such an introvert. No, not at all. I, I don't go to any kind of conventions or group things. People always ask me, will you join this writer's group and stuff? No, it's so not me. I just work on my own and I love collaborating with my family and that's a big joy to me. And I don't know, I'm not that type. I never really took writing courses. That's not my thing. And I just, I just enjoy, somebody also once asked me, um, how do you have, how do you work on plot development or how do you work on character development? And I said, I don't really do either one. You know, my books, they're message books. That's really the main focus of my books. The characters and the plot, 
are just vehicles to get the message out. That's it. And uh, yeah, that's, that's really what motivates me. Excellent. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, where can people find out more about you and your books? Well, the website that my children developed is called getsbookshop.com and gets is spelled in a weird way. It's spelled G O E T Z, but you don't, you don't, uh, you don't pronounce the O. Right? So, yeah, getsbookshop.com is where everything is. And that's oh, it. That's <laughs> terrific. Okay. And, and are you also on social media? Yeah, yeah, I'm all, I'm all those places. Excellent. Yes. And I'll put that in show notes. And thank you so much, Braca. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, proud member of the Podnuga Network.